morning, everybody. My name is Chad, one of the pastors here. Great to see you. Great to see everybody online as well. Or if you found this sermon five years from now, we did do it this day. Um, so I want to pray for us as we get going. Um, let's do that. Lord, we love you. We thank you that uh, your grace is enough for us today. We bless you, Jesus, that, um, Lord, as Carl said, you are, you don't just speak truth, Lord, you are the truth in your own words, the way and the life. And Lord, that your gospel this morning is all we need uh, for this life and to move us to the next one. And we anticipate your return. We long for it, Lord. We miss you. We pray, God, that you would uh, give us a glimpse of your kingdom today, that your um, your truth would just resonate so loud in our hearts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're in Luke's gospel. We're going to be in Luke chapter five again today. I want to start with asking you a question. Where is your hope set today? Where are you finding security and having your, just your everyday life anchored? I'm reminded of there's a verse in Hebrews that says, we have this anchor that is fixed in the holy place where Jesus has gone as a forerunner for us. And it cannot be moved. It can't be removed. And if you are connected to him through his life, death, and resurrection, you can't be taken from that. But I bet for some of you today, and actually I, I haven't been watching the news for like three weeks. Something happened this past week in our country. <laughs> Now, of course I have been. My wife calls me a doom scroller. <laughs> like I'm just like, just totally drawn in and just oh, like all this stuff. And so for some today, you are thrilled with the results. For others, you're sad, maybe mad, you're scared. Still others are confused. What to think? Where should I be? And it's a good thing for us to remember and even before we jump into Luke, uh, I remembered, I've said this verse to you guys many times, but I wanted to read it for you this morning from Daniel chapter two, just to, to hear. This was a, a time when he was in captivity. He was actually called to come before a king who wanted to know if he knew what his dream was. He didn't even tell him what the dream was. He said, do you know my dream? And God revealed it to him. And here's what Daniel said. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. And here is the verse. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Now we either believe that or we don't. And so if we believe it, we believe that God oversees every leader, every election. And that, yes, that includes whether or not we think it's a bad one or a good one. And what does he use it for? And what will he use this season in our country for? No matter what we think of the outcome, he will use it for his glory. He will use it to draw more and more people to Jesus Christ. We either believe that or we don't, or we think it's a roll of the dice and God's just up there going, oh no, that's not what I wanted to happen. Now, yeah, I know it messes with you theologically because you got to also fit into there all of the difficult things in our world and the question of evil and suffering and pain. But what we do is we go to the word of God and we believe that. It's not a coincidence that our passage today has a bunch of people who are divided. 
They couldn't be more divided. They think awful things about them and them. They aren't together. They see super deep divides, political, spiritual, social, cultural. They don't know how to come together, how to meet each other in the middle. And so what was happening during this time when Jesus was on the scene, for if you're a Jew, you have a Roman government in your town that is not your government, that is, has, been, has occupied your whole world. You're living under their oppressive thumb. The super religious people in town also look down on those who aren't as religious as them. And they think, well, those people are sinners. You got some of those people who hear that stuff and they're like, well, maybe I am. And so maybe I should just join the enemy. And they are. And then the people that were on their side are like, what are you doing, you traitor? You're joining the enemy. And so tons of division, tons of pointing fingers, blaming everyone has an opinion of who's right and who's wrong. Sound familiar? Yes. And then we have Jesus who cuts through with the skill of a surgeon's scalpel. And that's where we have today. So Luke 5, 27, if you have a copy of God's word, if not, we have it on the screen. Just going to read one verse. I just want to set the table for the story. After this, this is Jesus has just healed the paralytic story. Pastor Joe took us through last week. He went out and he saw a tax collector. Now, most people didn't look at him. They didn't like to look at him. It was almost like looking at a leper. They hated to look at them. This wasn't like, oh, that guy works for the IRS. I don't like him. This was like, I hate you with a thousand hates. Like you are the worst person in the world. So Jesus though, right away, we're struck with the fact that he's actually looking at a tax collector. He knows his name, named Levi. And he is sitting at the tax booth. He is sitting at the place of his sin. He is caught in the act and Jesus is looking at him. And Jesus shocks everyone when he says, you, Levi, follow me. Follow me. Become my disciple. This isn't follow me down the road for a little bit. Become my disciple. Leave what you're doing now. So I was caught right away, especially when I'm thinking about this week and how we look at each other. Would you say that our nation is divided? maybe 70 or so million on one side and 70 or so million on the other. And then there's, don't forget, there's a lot of people who didn't vote that are also make up the other few hundred million. So divided. What we look at, we see division. The world has known this, but I, I look and I ask the question, okay, Jesus, when Jesus looks at something, what does he see? What does he see when he looks at the United States of America in the year 2020? And so I just got on, I just stuck on that phrase. Jesus saw. I have a picture for you to look at. You may recognize it. It's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Let me explain. 1977, NASA sent out a, uh, an exploration vehicle called Voyager 1. And it was to travel, I think, to the furthest reaches of Saturn by the year 1980. And they had this whole setup where they were sending radio frequency messages and they could tell it to do certain things and it would send back pictures. Phenomenal, amazing, wow. So by 1980, they're like, well, we finished the mission, but it's still going. And by the way, it's still going. 43 years later, Voyager 1 is still out there 
taking pictures, <laughs> exploring the universe. This guy named Carl Sagan in the year, probably right around when that mission finished, said, I have an idea. Let's turn Voyager 1 around and have it take a picture. Now, first they said no, because we're afraid that might damage it from being too close to the sun. And we don't want to mess with that. We want it to keep going. It took another 10 years before somebody actually took them up on the idea and said, hey, let's do what he said. Let's turn it around. And so Voyager 1 was sent a signal, radio frequencies, to expose the camera at this many seconds for this moment to turn around and to look at Earth. That's us. That's our planet from 3.76 billion miles away, just at the far reaches of our solar system. Just about to head into the rest of the world out there. And he said, his reason for it, he says, it's not going to be scientific. You can't really learn. In fact, that is like less than a pixel, the size of it. It's like 0.12 of what a normal pixel would be. So he says, we're not going to learn anything scientific. He said, but I think it's important because it will give us perspective where we can see our place in the universe. Interesting. And he wrote these words, look at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who has ever lived out their lives, the aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Now I'm such a sap for being drawn into stories and he just had me. In fact, this week as I was doom scrolling, I, I mean, I was just so like uh, anxiety about the whole thing. And Abigail said, hey, you want to watch a movie? I was like, yeah, let's watch a movie. And so we watched Aladdin. And man, I was like in tears by a whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. Like I'm, I'm that guy back in the 90s and even in the new version. And then we watched Coco, me more, me more. Like, so I was like, I needed it. I needed that family time. I needed to sing. I'm drawn in by stories. And so Carl Sagan, man, he's got me just with the writing and the words. What's interesting about Carl Sagan is he's a brilliant scientist. And he actually says, I cannot call myself an atheist. He said, I don't think I'm smart enough to call myself an atheist. I don't think I have enough belief to call myself an atheist. He goes, I don't see enough evidence that there isn't a God. And he goes, I don't know if there's enough evidence to say that I believe in one either. So I find that an interesting place, an interesting perspective caused him to write those words. And as I thought about this story, so that's like a pulled, way pulled back view of our world. When we watch Jesus at work, he zooms in on one life and you get to learn how he sees the world. 
and what it looks like. And when Jesus looks at our planet, both from far away and close, what does he see? I believe the truth of God's word this morning would compel us, even empower us. That's the cool thing about God's word. He doesn't just say, here it is, deal with it. He says, here it is. And oh, by the way, here's my spirit. And starts shoving it into your heart. And you're like, stop it. And you realize I can't stop it. He's coming for me. God's word would compel us. And I think even empower us to be people who are seeing as Jesus sees. We need to. Boy, we need to right now. We have to see the world as Jesus sees the world. So what does Jesus see walking down this road? He sees a tax collector. And as I mentioned, most would not even look. It's like looking at a leper because tax collectors didn't just collect taxes. They betrayed their fellow human beings by working for the occupying government. And then beyond that, they would collect more to take from them. So extra to line their pockets. Then they lived high on the hog while their own people were suffering and they're an enemy and they're a traitor. Right now, it's easy for us to see enemies, isn't it? To look across the aisle, political aisle, whatever it is, because this week, our country just chose sides, didn't we? We chose sides, which in our history hasn't always been a bad thing. You could legitimately disagree with someone else on how things should be governed. You could pick your politician, your president, whatever. And then the other side would say, well, I disagree with you, but I still love you. What are people doing now? It's like drawn in the sand with a sword and just vicious rage. In fact, I even saw this week, now people are making lists. Lists of if you're on this side or this side, because we know who you are. We will find out if we don't. Everybody's like, what is going on? What is going on? And you may think, yeah, it's gotten really bad. You know what Jesus would say? It's always been bad. (laughs) He'd say, it's always been bad. It's, It's in your heart. It's a part of who you are as a fallen person. So the disciples, they look at a tax collector and they are swords drawn and drawing the same lines and have the same list that people are making in 2020. With anger and hate, they saw a tax collector. What did Jesus see? Not a tax collector only. Jesus is looking at him, which is making them uncomfortable. He's walking over to him. Don't do that. He's staring at him. He's lingering. Disciples are thinking, no, ministry happens to other more appropriate people. Not him. Surely not. And then maybe they're trying to rationalize in their head and, well, maybe he's going over to pronounce judgment on him because you're going to burn for what you're doing. What I find striking is that where the disciples saw barriers, both political, ideological, spiritual, social, that in their minds, you do not cross ever. Jesus walked right through. Just boom, You know that tape they put at the end of a race? I only know it in pictures. (laughs) But you know that tape, the one that they run through and they break? Nobody ever goes up to it and is like, I can't make it through. They break it. It's easy to break. When Jesus looks at a person, when he looks at what we say are just uncrossable barriers, he sees it as a victory tape. 
And he's like, I can break right through that. It's nothing to me. Lord, don't you understand what's at stake here? What kind of person this is? And I think he looks back and says, oh, if only you knew how much I understand. Now we're lucky because this won't always be the case, but the Chosen series also has a clip from this uh, story. So I want to show you the first part of it right here. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you gonna do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. What are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? Don't you know who he is? Don't you know how he voted last week? We don't do this. We don't cross these lines. I love, because I think you can see, like, look at the Roman soldier. He's standing there and he's like, whoa, trouble. Peter's flipping out. The other disciples are like this. I love Mary's look. She's, she is further along in understanding how he works. What does she do? She just smiles. She goes, here we go. Here we go. She knows what he's about, how he breaks through victory tape. I love watching him. And I think they do a beautiful job. If you have not watched The Chosen, you can watch, I think, almost all of them for free right now. It's because people like you have said, hey, I'll support this. I know I supported it. Um, Encourage you. They're filming the second season. It's beautiful. It's amazing. The thing's been viewed millions and millions and millions of times around the world. People are learning about Jesus. For each person that Jesus pursues, the defenses they put up to resist him are as thin as plastic victory tape, finish line stuff, nothing to him. And we think you can't get through that. Lord, it's too much of a stronghold there on the other side. We don't like them. He's a sinner. Jesus says, oh, well, we're going anyway. I want you right now to think, I want you to get a picture in your mind of someone on the other side of this red blue spectrum we have this past week. I want you to get them in your, in your head. And maybe it's somebody famous that you've seen online or whatever, you know, who represents just the worst of the other side. I want you to get them in your head right now. Now, I want you to picture Jesus looking at you, looking at them and saying, come on. Walking toward them. Picture that. Not just walking, watch him run to them. What will we do when Jesus decides to pursue the heart of someone that we think truly represents evil incarnate? What will we do? 
You see, Jesus sees differently. He also thinks differently, understands differently. He knows us. Think about this, past, present, and future you. He knows your past, present, and future sins. And he says, I love you. I died for those sins. He doesn't say, you're doing okay now, but let's see how you do in a couple of weeks. He chooses and sees you. So when he looks at Matthew, at Levi, he says, I know him. I know him by name, Matthew, son of Alphaeus. I know you. Makes me think of that Psalm. Surely I have called you by name. I created you. I formed you. I knit you together. The days of your life are planned. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's how Jesus approaches people. But the most stunning part of this opening verse is when he actually says, follow me. Because you don't do that. It was a stretch to ask those disciples, those fishermen to follow. But to ask this guy, because it's an invitation for a lifelong relationship. That's what it meant. It did not mean, hey, come to church once in a while and think about me and think this is cool what I do. It's an invitation to follow him for the rest of his life. So what's Matthew going to do? Look at verse 28. And leaving everything. Leaving everything. Don't pass that by. Think about that word, everything. It's not his tax booth or just for the day. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And wow, Levi is kicking here. He is moving forward in his newfound following of Jesus. Levi made a great, made him, Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was also a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So here's my question. If Jesus were coming to your house today in the flesh, what would you do to get ready? Would you clean up? Would you actually put your laundry away? Not keep grabbing from the basket? I used to tell my mom, she said, we're having people over, we got to clean the house. I'm like, why? We're just lying to people. We don't live like this. <laughs> that didn't work though. She still made me vacuum. Would you buy the best and most expensive food you could make? Would you make it? Would you get somebody you know who's a better cook than you to come over and just create this awesome meal? Who would you invite? Just you and Jesus and some of your friends. Who would you invite? What would the house be like? Matthew actually thought about these questions. Wasn't just an instant he followed him and like, oh, by the way, we're going to my house. Like he thought about this, put together to come up with a feast, whom he was going to invite, what he was going to make, how much money he was going to spend. He was going to do something big for Jesus. What was he leaving behind? What was included in the everything? His source of income, his power, his placing his trust and hope in his position in the occupying government of Rome, his betrayal of his own people. He's going to leave it, see if he can make amends. He's going to leave his sin. He's going to leave his lifestyle of sin and death, his idols, which idols are nothing more than us either creating for ourselves or taking something that somebody else made and trying to fill the hole in our hearts that is only meant to be filled by God. That's what an idol is. So it could be any number of things. He's leaving those. 
He leaves them behind and he follows Jesus. And like I said, the following isn't just to go to church a couple of times or think about his teaching. He is willing to give his life, the rest of his life for this. And I love it because following Jesus has immediate impact. There's no waiting around to decide whether or not this is going to take. Right away, there's fruit. There's fruit on this newly budding planting of the Lord. Because when God plants something, it grows no matter what. And it bears fruit no matter what. And what kind of fruit? Well, Matthew, in some form or another, said this to Jesus. Jesus, will you come to my house for dinner? Now, I picked a really yummy picture because my love language is meat. <laughs> no, but I'm like, if I'm like going to do it, I mean, we're going to go, like actually I was telling somebody yesterday, we do family Christmas presents and uh, like, you know, gift exchange stuff. And I was like, I don't know, Amazon gift card, blah, blah, blah. A few years ago, I figured out something. I ask for an amazing cut of meat. And literally, like it's been, we're sitting with my extended family. Everybody's opening presents and all of a sudden somebody runs to the fridge and brings out this wrapped filet mignon or sirloin strip. And I'm like, happy, we're cooking this. Best gift ever. Jesus, come to my house. I want to make you a feast. So what's, the, what's underneath this action? What's he doing? What's he been using his money for? Himself? His own life? Make his world comfortable. Now, what does he want to use his money for? Make dinner for Jesus and invite all of his friends. I don't want to just believe in your teachings. I want them to actually take over my life where I start doing things because I'm listening to you and I want to reach other people. He says, come into my house, into this mess, into my world, which I know is not, Beautiful, but what he's doing is beautiful. It's what it means to follow Jesus, for you to invite him into your room. We say that, Carl said it, Jesus is the most important person in the room. That's the first step we have in our grace anchors. It's realizing that he's the king, he's the Lord. And for sure, yeah, you come in here, you realize it. He is the most important person. You know where it's most important? When you go home, in your room, in your house, inviting Jesus into your world to say, Lord, this room as well, you are the most important. You are the most important in how I think about this person at my work or at school. You're in this room too, aren't you? Yes, come into my house. Let's watch the other clip. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. 
glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. <laughs> Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. I can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. So much to love there. Get used to different. But he's a tax collector. I think there's beautiful things for us to learn from the Lord and watching him interact and even beginning to watch the disciples start to get it and start to move their hearts as well. What makes somebody do that? What makes somebody leave everything? You get these moments of like when the bomb hit in Matthew's life. That's what the Bible's kind of reading. You're getting the moment when it's like impact. You don't see all the other stuff that happened beforehand. What causes somebody to do that? Now, here's the question I had. Do you think that was the first time Matthew felt bad about his lifestyle? No. He probably felt awful about who he was. He also didn't see a way out. Didn't see how he could get out. And I think this is the problem with when we pursue religion to say, I'm gonna be good enough. I'm gonna be better for God. I'm gonna pursue him. And it never works because you're missing the one key person and ingredient that makes it possible. And it's when Jesus is in the room, when he's been welcomed into your house. And sometimes when he hasn't been welcomed into your house and he just broke through the door anyway, because that's what he does. He is present. And so in his presence, there is not only grace and compassion and love and breaking through barriers. He also imparts the grace for Matthew to say, I'm leaving all of it. I'm leaving all of it behind. Here's the key. Take it. I'm into this. I'm going full bore. The spirit of Jesus calls us, encourages us, convicts us to truly leave, to stand up to those who might be trying to keep you in your former life, but also to face those that are super religious that maybe you might be afraid of and who you think are looking at you saying, you don't belong which we know that was the case happening right here. What did he have to do? Focused on Christ, on Jesus. This doesn't mean though that he will be trouble-free going forward. And you already see it immediately at the party. Look at verse 30. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled. It's a nice way of saying it at his disciples. And the disciples were already grumbling about the whole situation. They asked the question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, there's a reason they're asking this question because to eat with somebody wasn't just to say, yeah, I went to so-and-so's house. I don't really like them, but it's okay. It's to approve of their, to, to sit at table was kind of what the way the phrase they use in the scripture was to approve of their lifestyle. Was to say, I give my endorsement for this person. I'm standing with them. They are of good reputation. I will vouch for them in court, that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's much more than just a hospitable action. So the question, why are you doing this? This breaks all the rules. Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've not come to call the righteous. Jesus is not letting them off the hook or saying that they're righteous because we got to believe what the Bible says. There is no one righteous. No, not one. 
including the Pharisees who were super religious. What is he saying though? He's saying, I've come to call those who know they are sick, who know they have something wrong. What's implied? You don't yet. You don't get it yet. Who know their deep need for me. You know, we pay attention to physical sickness, don't we? Even if we're not doctor type people and we're really upset about doctors and doctor bills and those kinds of things, like then we're like, no, nope, I'll handle it myself. I'm gonna take all this craziness I bought at Walmart, whatever. Um, we will try to do something about it though, won't we? We won't ignore it. We won't just say it's fine. Like if you're in pain, you're gonna try to find something to numb it. Isn't it interesting though, with our spiritual sickness, we're much better at pressing snooze on the alarm. The alarms are going off in our hearts, but we're like, eh, I don't wanna do anything with that. Those who know they are sick and who are willing to admit it. What if you knew that the doctor you went to was never wrong and that it was a guaranteed healing? You could be made well and he would pay for the bill. Would you go? Yeah, show me that doctor, I'll go. In fact, what if the doctor you went to wasn't just a doctor, but the creator of all life, the designer of the human body who knew how to fix it, also how to fix your mind and your soul and your heart. Anyone who meets the real Jesus knows that this is who he is. Now, what am I saying? It's possible to meet the fake Jesus? Yeah. There's plenty of them. That's the whole spirit of antichrist. It is a form. There's plenty of it out there. But if you know the real Jesus, you know that he heals, he makes whole. He asks for all of your life. He's the creator and savior of everyone. In fact, the Bible describes him as the great physician. The one doctor you can go to and be healed. He knows us, as I said, past, present and future. And so Matthew is aware of this. He is recognizing that he's in the presence of somebody who can create that with his voice. He doesn't know it completely, but he's getting a glimpse. He realizes this is my only ticket. This is the only option I have if I want to get out of this. He's the one that can help me. He is the great physician. So he's all in. He's aware and he's all in. And what a beautiful story of healing and forgiveness for him. So why is the dinner party such a problem for the Pharisees? Why are they so ah, about what's happening there? A lot of it is just what I said about showing approval, but I think it's also this thing in us that says, Jesus, I just don't like that person. I wanna to go to church with people I like. Can we like make this all people I like and none that I don't? If we become that, we are not a church. If we become that, we are not a church. We are not what we're supposed to be doing in fact, in history, they've tried to do this. They call them monasteries where people say, build the walls thick. Let's just do our religious stuff all day long. We'll never talk to anybody. Lord, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? It's really bad out there. When are you coming back? That doesn't work. And you're not on mission. I'm uncomfortable with this person, though, Lord. I'm uncomfortable with loving my enemies. In fact, I'm uncomfortable with you loving my enemies because that person really doesn't deserve it. Oh, do I deserve it? 
Where are you in this story today? Are you Matthew? Are you in it? Are you so deep in it today? Secret sins, still working on solving those on your own. Are you stuck? Do you see no way out? Are you held captive by your sin? Are you Matthew? Jesus calling you out. Are you the disciples where you're starting to understand who he is, but you're not quite comfortable with him reaching everybody? Maybe you would say that about the whole political thing that's going on right now. 70 something million on one side and 70 something million on the other. Pretty big division, don't you think? Yeah, Lord, I'd rather just not. How about you maybe are the Pharisees? I am most drawn to that one. Definitely. The one I struggle with the most. To not see people the way Jesus sees them. To not think about having people over. And I don't mean that just in the literal sense. It can be that, but just that whole thing of being on mission. Asking God to give me his heart for people. If your heart is inclined more to the Pharisees, and let's admit it, if we are, You're raising an eyebrow, Jesus, the thought of an enemy getting close to you. I heard a pastor say years ago that evangelism or telling other people about Jesus is like going to war. The Bible uses that illustration more than any in the New Testament, that it's a fight. It's a fight. It's not a stroll in a flower field. Jesus is great. It's a fight. It talks about having weapons and it talks about an enemy Satan, not other people, but an enemy that is trying to destroy, come after us. And it says that we have weapons that are not of this world and we're supposed to wield them. We're supposed to take them up. The sword of the spirit, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, all that kind of stuff, helmet of salvation. And we're supposed to use those things. And so I heard him, this pastor talking, he says, so if that's war, when somebody actually shares the gospel with somebody or pursues another person, with the truth of Jesus, it's like picking up your weapon and firing it. And Pharisees are those who say, I don't like how you're firing your weapon. I don't, I don't like the person you're aiming at. I don't like your stance. Do you have a permit? You're supposed to be here? Are you even allowed to do that? I don't like that. It's not how we do things. When all along, your own weapon in the closet collecting dust. So I'm criticizing the person who's actually trying to do something and hold a party and pursue people on the other side. And I'm mad about it, even though I haven't used mine in years. That's the Pharisees. That's the one I'm drawn to. I need the Lord. I need his heart. I need to see what he sees. Who's sitting at this table? Jesus, the disciples, Matthew, a tax collector, other tax collectors. Who can bring that group of people together? And not over false unity or, you know, that they're not trying to bring them together on, hey, let's talk about great social policies and stuff like that. Not that kind of unity. The unity that scripture talks about is a unity that comes under the cross of Jesus. It's the only thing that will unify people. It's the only thing that will bring the millions and millions together 
under his leadership. Do not buy that any form of earthly government or policies can truly bring people together. Because I have news for you. The divide you see today will only increase. We know that, don't we? We don't have to be convinced of that one. It will only increase. And what's the only thing on this side of heaven that brings people together truly in true peace? Jesus Christ, his gospel, his sacrifice, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return is the only thing that can bring us healing and true peace. Matthew knows this. And so he's going to go after people who he thinks need it. It's going to be messy. He's going to make some mistakes, but guess what? At least he's firing his weapon. I got to get mine out of the closet. Dust it off. Lord, teach me how to do this again. Did you know that people who are young Christians share the gospel more than people who've been walking with him a long time? They're so excited to tell people. They're okay to get slapped around a little bit. We get further and further away. And it's an anecdotal stat. It's not like there's a stat out there. I've heard this anecdotally. But it seems true. It seems true to my own heart. It's easier. It's easier just to kind of batten down the hatches. Let's build the walls thicker and let's hold on. Keep people in these things. Matthew's in it though. He's in it to fight. He's fighting the good fight. He's firing and wielding his spiritual weapons. He's tearing down strongholds. He's telling his sinner friends that Jesus is the doctor who can heal them. How long did he do this? Was he all in? Yes. He would do this until around the year 74 AD where somewhere in Africa, the details are unclear, he would be killed for holding dinner parties for Jesus. I think he believed it. I think he believed it. And you have a whole gospel of his too, if you ever want to read that one. That's him. That's the guy that was behind the, the bars taking people's money. He wrote that with the Holy Spirit. That's a good word for me. That's a good word for my heart. A good wrestling match this week, pulling away from the idols that I've created, my doom scrolling, to hear the heart of God. Invite the worship team. Lord, we thank you for Matthew. We thank you for that small group of people on that little town somewhere in the Middle East that has changed the world for us. And God, amen. <laughs> Give me that symbol. Um, Lord, we bless you for your grace and how you pursue us. Lord, thank you that our defenses are nothing but thin plastic tape when it comes to your pursuit of our hearts. God, thank you that you see this world uh, intimately. Lord, you know that the kingdom's of this world will not last, that yours is an everlasting kingdom. And so God, we cling to that this morning. We thank you for this up close and personal look at the way you see people on the other side for us. I pray God, we would stay close to your heart. Lord, minister to us now, Lord. May we truly um, hear your voice and hear your word to be able to say it is absolutely well with my soul. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.